Uh, it's great. It's, I mean, as great as anything can be these days is probably not true. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, I wish I knew the answer to who I was, um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a, I know, I know, who knew? Um, I am a science writer. I write about uh, space and physics stuff. Um, I'm a freelancer, but I write a lot for Wired and Popular Science. And um, my most uh, sustaining interests, I guess, throughout history, and I think what we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about are uh, aliens and their presence in the wider universe or uh, closer by. Yeah, uh, people saying they couldn't hear me. Um, should be okay now. Let me see. I think I know what the problem was. Okay, I fixed it. <clears throat> Hopefully the audio works now. Um, this thing, I'm muted. I shouldn't be muted. I see that I'm working or I'm really, really quiet. Huh? I can hear you. Yeah, you can hear me. I know. And the, and the system can hear me, but maybe it's the button that I pressed fixed it. Yeah. Okay. People are, are time delayed, so they can't tell. Um, so they, who knows what I said? Uh, it'll be lost in history. Only you and I will, will know what was actually it's spoken here. Yeah. It's our secret. <laughs> it's a conspiracy of two people, uh, which is the only, not even that is a one that can be kept secret. So you have done, uh, two books that I've seen so far. Um, first inspiration to us all Jill Tarter, which I'd love to talk about. Uh, but you've got a newer book. Do you have, do you have a copy handy? Uh, I don't it actually have oh. one nearby, far away. Okay, um, all right. So what's your new book? It looks like this. Uh, it's called They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. And it's kind of a sociological, psychological look about uh, why people find UFOs to be so compelling and why they have for the past many decades. And, I mean, just, like, I don't know, it's funny. Like, like I do all of my work live out on on YouTube. And so you get comments and I'm sure this specific episode is going to receive a ton of these kinds of comments. So we'll be able to deal with them in real time. And the audience is just outraged and perplexed that I am not falling uh, deeply down the, the USS Nimitz rabbit hole and and pushing back against the uh, possibility that we're being regularly visited by aliens. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the work that you're doing as well is, is to sort of understand what's going on here. Why are people so interested? Why are they sure that the aliens are visiting us? I guess that's the question. Why are they so certain? How do they know? <laughs> I don't know how they do. I don't know how they know because I definitely don't know. Um, I think, you know, something that UFOs have going for them, and I also have not fallen down the rabbit hole despite my many, many hours of Googling and talking to people, um, is that UFOs, you know, A, they're a very compelling mystery. Um, people definitely see something, mm -hmm. whatever you think it is. And, you know, it, it's a way to have, at least for some people, kind of a, a a fun enigmatic hobby and like a, a lot of people describe it to me as a, a problem you can never 
solve because nobody has since 1947. <laughs> so there's there's that. And then I think also the, the reason people know is that a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, UFO stuff kind of ends up acting like a religion where people kind right. of evaluate their beliefs according to belief rather than according to evidence. And once you're convinced of something, no amount of data can convince you right. to be uncertain. But I think like, and you, I mean, both of us will, will, I'm hoping we will agree that there is such a thing as a UFO. There is absolutely an unidentified flying object. There's a thing that's in the sky and we don't know what it is. Thing, sky, thing, unknown. Fulfills the criteria of a UFO. Okay. And, and the thing that I always say is that you can't unknow your way to knowledge, right? Because it's unidentified. You can't unidentify your way to knowing what it is. And so any, the, the second you walk away, you try to attribute any, any attribute to what it is that you thought you saw, you are, that's a step too far. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. And to me, it's such a big leap from I saw something I can't explain to therefore the aliens made it is such a large logical yeah. leap yeah. Yeah. outside of like seeing an alien pilot that I, I don't, I still don't totally like at a base level understand where it comes from, except that, pe you know, people see things that, that they don't think that our own technology can explain. Therefore, right. uh, it must be something else's technology, but even that is a big leap really. But it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a claim from in incredulity right that you're saying essentially i don't know what it is therefore it ha i can't imagine some way that could explain this thing that i'm seeing in the sky therefore um it has to be either a super advanced secret technology created by the russians or the chinese or it's aliens visiting us on a regular basis as opposed to any number of mundane things that it could possibly be so, so that's all fine. And I think, you know, like, on, I think that's great um, that, I mean, it doesn't bother me that people are, are, are making that jump. But the part that does bother me is that I find they're mean. What's that about? I have also about? found that. <laughs> yeah. So what's that about? Why? And that's where I think it's, it, it crosses into that, that religious sort of overtones is that the, like, if they say, I think there are aliens, and I say, I am unconvinced by the evidence that you've presented so far, then they get hostile. So, so I'm hoping you have some investigation into this. Yeah, I definitely have personal experience of it, at least. Um, when I, what, I mean, what I was trying to do in my book was kind of take an outsider's view, but like a sympathetic view, because it's also fine with me, like it's fine with you if people think UFOs are aliens. Um, and I think the only conclusion I have, I, I mean, there's, there's the religious hypothesis in that people essentially become super followers of a particular um, school of ufo thought or in some cases like a lot of cases like all of the the crowd of ufo celebrities associated with the the nimitz encounter and things like that and i think i do kind of see it as a version of uh other online religious ish extremism and kind of just general trolling because actually what i found in person going to ufo conferences or meeting 
sorts of believers in person is that everybody's very nice. And when I would say I'm working on this book, but I'm a science journalist and I'm not coming from the same place you are, people were very nice. And mm -hmm. it's, it's the uh, it's the Internet that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, turns out the Internet is the problem. Um, but it's it is it is interesting. And so like when man, I like. I, I clearly have a very emotional investment into this because I, because it, it definitely has got under my skin, not the evidence, but the, the anger and the cruelty from the people who are making the claims. Um, and that, and of course the, you know, there's only so many times you want to get death threats, um, for, for like, I love space. Galaxies are cool. And then people make a death threat and you're just like, why? What's this about? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a persecution complex in there too. Some, some people who have gone fully down the rabbit hole see themselves as, as the persecuted minority and you're the mainstream privileged guy who can, you know, they're punching up, but death threats are never really punching up. I don't think. No, I know. I know. Totally. <laughs> totally. But I, but I think that that is, it's like by not agreeing with them or not being convinced by their evidence, I am, I am holding them down. I'm making their life more miserable. I'm somehow um, uh, not letting them get as far in their careers as they could. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. It's a, it's a weird thing. And I think that where you have an advantage is you have talked to a lot of the people who, who present this evidence in person and 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 so your experience in person is that it's a very different experience yeah i think i mean i think um not that i would encourage you to meet all of your online trolls but if you did <laughs> I, I would guess that they might they might be a bit kinder and you could maybe find some common ground because i think at least what i wish my own detractors would remember is that like we are all coming from sort of the same place which is like a fascination with the universe and kind of wonder at its possibilities and what's out there and that takes different forms um but honestly i would also love it if there were aliens driving spaceships on earth like that would be the greatest day of my life yeah. to find that out yeah. so it, yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny people people in fact our latest got a video coming out probably in, a, in like an hour after this and someone's like, you know, why are you so close-minded? Why don't you spend any time thinking about aliens? And like, like literally, a quarter of the work that I do is tangentially, in some way, either directly or indirectly, involved in this very specific question. I'm writing about astrobiology, um, searching for signatures of other planets, for for biosignatures of SETI of, and other attempts and what's going on with Venus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? We're, 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 I'm, I'm obsessed about it, about the same thing that they are. Um, so I want to talk about the, like what, how long has this been happening for? How long has this been, like when did this come about? The UFO thing? Yeah, yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Because they're already here. So when did they get here? <laughs> 2007. 2007 um, okay. No. Um, uh, so the first 
really kind of canonical modern UFO sighting was in 1947 when a pilot named Kenneth Arnold was flying around in, in Washington. He was actually searching for the wreckage of another plane. And while he was doing that, he saw these nine objects that he thought uh, he clocked as moving faster than anything could at the time. And he came home and reported it. Um, and uh, he says he used the phrase, they skipped like saucers on water. And then a newspaper printed something about flying saucers and then everybody else printed oh, it. And then okay. here we are today. Right. Um, yeah. How did it go more mainstream? Apart from like getting picked up in, like how did it sort of reach this kind of cultural, like by this within, I mean, I think shortly was, it was in science fiction to, to be, for the spacecraft to look like flying saucers and easily by the 70s it was a cultural phenomenon right yeah yeah i mean it's, it starts with him there were headlines and then um there's a thing that uh psychologists call perceptual contagion which is once once somebody uh notices something and kind of gives it a form a saucer shaped form then other people start to interpret what they see as also having that form and then it just kind of spread and there have been ups and downs in UFO sightings, which UFO insiders kind of call flaps when it usually starts with one big event. Um, somebody sees something, then all of a sudden a bunch of other people start to see something and it just kind of comes in in waves that go with those sightings and then also kind of happen to line up with uh, times of political and social turmoil like we are experiencing currently. Right. Any idea what's how that is connected? I mean, I can't take credit for this idea, but but scholars who have have studied this sometimes say that it is kind of taking our anxieties that we have about everything going on on Earth and also kind of, a, you know, a fear of outsiders or invaders of various sorts and projecting it out onto something that so far, you know, hasn't really harmed yeah. us if it's yeah. out there at all. And so just kind of displacing your anxieties a bit. I mean, or they're there. I mean, I've, I've actually never mentioned this on on the show, but I actually suffer from sleep paralysis quite a lot uh -huh. and and have all my life. And and when I when it first happened to me, when I was a lot younger, I was freaked out. Um, and somebody said, oh, um, sleep paralysis. This is what it is. You know, your you're, part of your brain is woken up. The other part of your body is still asleep. And there's and the moment it was explained to me, it's never, it didn't go away, but I never had a problem with it. Like I now just, I'll, I'll have sleep paralysis and I'm like, oh, I'm having sleep paralysis. This will go away. Mm -hmm. I'll either fall asleep. Usually I'll say either I'll fall asleep and then wake up again and then it's all fine. Or I will just wake up more slowly and it, and it happens that once you have that rational explanation for what it is that's, that's going on. Um, I don't know. Did you see the, the Goodyear blimp uh, sighting in New Jersey like a week ago? I did see a bit about it. I actually read the Universe Today article about it. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nancy covered that one. Yeah. So there was a there was a Goodyear blimp. It's at the exact right distance from some New Jersey uh, highway, and the way the the lighting was happening on the blimp and the way the the lights were on the blimp, thousands of people were pulling off to the side of the road and taking pictures of this thing. And same thing with the with the. Um, like with the SpaceX launches in California, when you get this incredible view in the sky and literally millions of people are seeing this thing in the, in the sky. That's what 
an event would look like. I mean, if there was really aliens showing up, that's what it would look like, right? Millions of people seeing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, with their cell phone. Yeah, cameras. unless yeah, unless they have like targeted optical beams that send their light just to your house, but I don't know anything <laughs> about those. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I uh, I I think so, and I think both of those things also go to show something that I think is important, which is that um, you know the vast majority of of UFO sightings, even even though they can look truly truly strange, uh, can still be mundane stuff and there has also you know there's always been a percentage that we haven't been able to explain but like once I started working on the book I started paying attention even more to what was going on in the sky and if you just look up there's all kinds of weird stuff going on up there a lot you'll see stuff and um even Venus looks strange you know yeah 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 we had uh two nights ago actually my wife called me and she's like what's going on there's some weird sparkling star in the sky and I went out and looked at the sky and I knew the constellation and the star happened to be Arcturus, but it was low enough in the sky that it was, and there was some haze and smoke, I think. And it, it really looked like it was just changing colors. It was going red, green, blue. It was just changing really rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never seen it do this, but I know the star. I knew the constellation. I know, you know, it's in booties. It was the bottom of, the, like, I know exactly what star it was. And yet it was doing something that was very peculiar and i think you're exactly right and i wouldn't even have thought to go look in the sky to see this one star um Mm -hmm. so what do you think i mean from a sociology standpoint you know you talked about how it's sort of coming in a time of of crisis and instability i don't i mean i i I mean maybe that's true i would love to see more research in that because it does feel like it's sort of been a mainstay that there is a constant belief by a certain segment of the population that that everything is a lie that we're saying the, the conspiracy thinking is going on and we see this in QAnon and we see this in moon hoaxing and flat earthing and all that kind of stuff same situation uh very similar and i mean i think it goes back to almost the very beginning of ufos um i read a book by a couple of anthropologist and and a physicist who wrote about uh, Roswell, which uh, is an event that happened right after that initial sighting that I mentioned in in Washington with Kenneth Arnold. And, uh, you know, at first the the government declared that there was a flying saucer there, then they declared it wasn't. And then later in the 90s, they said it was, they'd been lying about everything and it was a super secret atomic project. And that kind of gave UFOs like from the very beginning what this uh, quality of unfalsifiability like either um, you know if the government says something isn't real they don't have aliens at area 51 um, you know they've just been hiding things all along and you you can't prove that wrong um, you know and, and it's not possible and I think that's the basis of a really a conspiracy theory with legs is something that isn't like I cannot prove there are zero spaceships in area 51 that's not possible no. for me and so people can keep believing it and so I think that's the kind of the baseline thing that keeps it all going and and yet you see an example of a of an actual major discovery in the atmosphere of Venus a a possible biosignature in the atmosphere in, in the atmosphere of Venus with with phosphine and the you know the uh, astronomy community could not keep the secret they were supposed right. to and they mm-hmm. couldn't keep the secret and it was just like 
three hydrogen chemical, three hydrogen atoms bonded to phosphorus in Venus, and and it was the worst kept secret ever. Yeah, I mean, every exciting astronomical discovery gets leaked before it's supposed to be. We've got that, we've got gravitational waves, some of the other planetary discoveries, like uh, scientists are some of the worst people, I think, at keeping their mouths shut, because <laughs> the rest of their careers are dedicated to, you know, open data, open publication, and to ask them to uh, help cover up something that big, I don't think would work, and definitely not for 80 years. So do you think, I mean, there's a larger war on expertise. And do you think that plays into it, sort of a distrust of, of science and scientists and, and, and then sort of then people coming up with ad hoc explanations of things? Uh, I do. And I, I should specify that just like not, not every uh, person who's interested in UFOs is totally religious and, and mean on the internet. Um, this, what I'm about to say doesn't apply to all UFO uh, interested parties either. But I think that there is the sense among ufologists and, and other people who are interested in fringe topics that mainstream science doesn't take them seriously, doesn't value their personal experiences or their analysis and uh, that their, you know, science's methods are inadequate for something as big as UFOs. And so if the scientists aren't going to pay attention, then we have to take it into our own hands. And so the, then it becomes, um, you know, a, a lay person investigator's job to, to evaluate it because mainstream science won't. And I think that, I mean, I think that goes both ways. There's been some research on this too, that, that it is partly because, you know, scientists just in general, just kind of laugh off UFOs that ufologists feel kind of shunted to the side and, and put upon and there's a little mutual antagonism there. But I, I mean, I think in my experience in this, in this process, you know, I've tried as hard as I can um, to present as sort of open and willing to, to have these conversations, have enthusiastic and positive conversations about the possibility of there being life in the universe, but requiring people to, to meet a certain level of evidence before we can continue forward. And, and anecdotal evidence does not meet that, that criteria for me to believe you that this is a thing that's true. Uh, and, and I think that, that it's almost like that, that's not a bar they're willing to cross, can cross, and yet get angry when they when I make that just my first step, my first requirement, right? Mm -hmm. I saw an alien. Oh, can I check out their spaceship? No, you can't. Well, then we're done. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a hard thing. And I think, you know, I think what, you know, what, what I say sometimes and that, that people are not always so fond of is that I don't trust anyone as a witness to an event, myself included, yeah. you included, yeah. Air Force pilots included, everybody, like our brains are not good at taking in novel data, interpreting it correctly, and then relaying it after the fact, like our memories are flawed, our perceptions are flawed. Um, if I saw what I thought was a flying saucer, I probably, you know, wouldn't believe myself. Um, right. And definitely wouldn't, you know, if I told the story 10 years, later um but there, there are some uh efforts within the community to gather more hard data that's what i was going to ask you next is, is yeah. i mean has 
been has been sort of pushed to the sidelines from the, you know from their perspective. No one's taking them seriously. The minimum bar has been placed in front of them time after time after time. But you're saying that they are actually now attempting to see if they can get over that bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in particular, there's one effort called Skyhub, um, which actually it's just it's a citizen science project where you kind of create a setup that is meant to watch the sky for transient events that come and go, some of which might be interesting as unidentified flying objects. Wow. Okay. of some sort and then it becomes it goes uh, into an open data repository and people can kind of analyze it it's a little like the um some of the open seti projects but for ufos and it's it's just getting off the ground but i think that that's a uh that's a good start that's and, super uh, interesting i like that idea yeah. a lot because because like like let's just <clears throat> try to be so if if somebody does see something then somebody else can take a look at that if they were nearby they can they can look at their sky view at the same time and and see if they also saw it and can corroborate it and now you're starting to move towards data yeah yeah and i think they're also aiming to get kind of like a, a baseline of you know how many events happen in a given area of sky per night or day and the you know do we see different categories of things that we can fit fit together and then identify and, <laughs> and and is this a like an actual ufo centric project or is this like a science project i'm, I'm sort of imagining a a more distributed veer rubin observatory right that's just looking for transient events across the planet yeah, I mean, I think it's using the idea of finding the truly unidentified objects to grab people in, but it, the, but it will produce this this large scale data on transient objects, and so people we will be uh, doing uh, traditional science on the side, whether they like it or not. And I think that's part of the goal, actually, is to get to get UFO people to to do some hard data analysis to see what that is like if they haven't done it before. Right. Um, John Michael Godier is uh, mentioning in the comments, I find it interesting that for the last 40 years, the UFO people screamed that the government was lying about UFOs, and now they believe government employees on the subject. A total 180-degree turnaround. It is interesting it is also, interesting. and I, th I yes. think, I mean, I think it goes back to a little bit of what we were saying earlier, where when somebody's is saying something that fits with your hypothesis, you get to believe it. And then when they're saying something not, they get to be a liar. Yeah. So, so where do we go from here? How, how can we bridge this gap to take what is clearly a total enthusiasm about space astronomy and the search for aliens and, and help make some, some headway, make some progress. I mean, you talk about one project, which I think sounds great, um, could be disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, T TVD, how it will work out. Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think being willing to engage with each other on on both sides. So maybe on the on the hardcore UFO side, a little less vitriol and a little more talking. Um, and uh, a, a a willingness to ask for things like data. I mean the the our world is more surveilled than it's ever been in the past there's mm -hmm. sensors and satellites and you know we could we could have the <laughs> the, the hardest data ufo uh you know collection system that has ever existed but i think part of it is that you know people want to be able to keep believing and maybe are a little bit afraid of what we might find if we actually take some data so maybe just 
a little more agnosticism on all sides. Where do you think this goes? Is it, I mean, a lot of the recent upsurge in stuff is kind of due to YouTube. Um, the flat earth, the, uh, a lot of conspiracy theories and even, you know, there's a lot of channels that, that just absolutely wrecked me in terms of views and new subscribers and stuff. Um, and YouTube, during the time when YouTube was just trying to make people watch as long as they could, as many videos as they could forever. Um, now YouTube is trying to do the opposite. <clears throat> Hasn't necessarily been good for me, but has definitely pushed to different conspiracy theories, I guess, and not the space ones. Um, is, do you, do you see a lull in, in this or, or is it continuing to grow? Do you know? hard to it's hard to say um but i think that it is becoming more mainstream i i i don't think there's evidence that ufo sightings are increasing or anything or that there is an an increased interest in ufos but i do think there is a wider interest in part because really reputable um you know news newspapers and and websites have been publishing about ufos um not not just um uh, YouTube channels with a lot of subscribers. And so, um, I mean, it's a, there's a third of Americans who think that, <laughs> that, uh, flying saucers are visitors from outer space and like a sixth or one in six people who have seen one. So mm -hmm. it's, it's already a lot of people to start with, but I think, I mean, I think maybe you're right that using that interest, which we all share mm -hmm. in the universe and alien life and, using that to, to talk about some of the things we do know that they're like that there's lots of uh, earth-sized planets out there um there's weird extremophiles that live here on earth mm -hmm. and phosphine on venus and yeah br bringing our worlds together maybe yeah it like people will will say oh nobody goes to space the earth is flat the space station isn't real it's all just filmed in a movie set and i'm like and i say like you can see the international space station with your own eyes you can you can know the time when it's going to fly overhead you can walk outside you can look up and you will see the space station fly overhead and they will admit that's true so then they have to come up with a more elaborate explanation for what's going on there's some kind of laser beam that's, that's projecting this object or it's a hologram somehow and then I say, well, you can take a pair of binoculars. You can look through the binoculars as this bright light is flying over your head and you can see the little TIE fighter shape of the solar panels on the space station. Uh, so, so you don't have to trust or distrust some third party. You can do this for yourself. <clears throat> so it does feel like, like the solution is to somehow say, Hey, let's all get together and let's, I, I love this idea of the sky. That's why I was so excited about this. I'm going to totally research this some more because I love this idea of just saying, hey, you're really excited about this idea. Let's do some work. Let's try and figure out what's going on. Let's maybe see something that the scientists are missing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. almost certainly you will discover something interesting. It won't be aliens, but it will be helpful. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's harnessing the thing that gets a lot of people into UFOs or Flat Earth or QAnon or... Um, any anything conspiratorial conspiratorial not that all ufos are conspiratorial but like people want to know for themselves and they want to gather their own evidence and um 
analyze it and not trust you or trust me or uh, trust scientists, but find it for themselves. And I think, yeah, things like grabbing the binoculars and seeing for yourself are exactly that. And the more opportunities we give people maybe to not have to trust anyone, but to, to find some things out for themselves is, is good. What is, in all of your work, all of your conversations, what is the most unexplainable thing that you found? What's the thing that sort of you're having the hardest trouble sitting with? Hmm. That's a, that's a hard one. Um, Cause I didn't necessarily talk to so many people who had uh, in insane sighting stories. Um, but I mean, I think, I think a really interesting one that, that to my knowledge, uh, no one has given a definitive answer to happened in the 1970s in Iran, actually, where um, some people there just saw some strange lights in the sky. The local Air Force people sent some jets out to go chase them when they went to chase these lights. You know, their, their power systems failed, things didn't work. They saw small lights going into a larger craft, um, kind of like a, a mothership. And I mean, that's all stuff we've heard in some capacity before. But what was most interesting to me about, about this one was that it appeared a long time later in a US Air Force manual saying like, hey, if you're a pilot, you're probably going to see something you can't explain, like take these guys over here in Iran. Uh, this is what they saw way back when. So just, I think those official accounts, while I've already said I don't, you know, trust pilots any more than I trust anyone else. Yeah. Like that's, that's interesting that a, that a story like that from across the world would have an impact on, you know, pilots here. What evidence would convince you that you're wrong? Mm. That's hard. Because uh, the answer is uh, almost nothing. It would take a lot. Um, really? I'm, I'm the exact, I think it would be super easy for me to be convinced. Really? I'm wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, super easy. I, I mean, I, I where I ended up in my research was that I think I started out very arrogant. Like, I know for sure there's no UFOs here. And then I think, uh, you know, there's not actually a way for me to know that with 100% certainty. It's unscientific. Um, I mean, I think some of the things like, uh, like people are doing now, like taking metal fragments that they think might be from craft analyzing their isotopic composition and seeing whether it's, you know, the isotopes that are most abundant here on earth or things in space. Um, hard, hard data, things like that, I guess, or if an alien showed up at my yeah, door yeah. in a spaceship. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it, right? It's, I mean, people talk about like, what would it take to prove you that there's life on Mars? Well, if, if curiosity sees a fossil, like an actual fish fossil on Mars, like a, and then boom, you're done. There it is. That'd be rad. Yeah, 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 you've done. Life on Mars. There was once life on Mars. Who knows if it's life there, but we we for sure know there were fish because we see a big dinosaur skeleton there cropping out of the rocks. And a lot of people say they see them, but they're just rocks. But something there's like absolutely no question, that's a dinosaur. Um, mm -hmm. And then same thing, like for sure, if an alien spacecraft lands on my lawn and I can get on the spacecraft and it can fly off into space and we go to another world, I'm convinced. That sounds like a good Friday, and I would like for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. So um, obviously that's a bridge too far. Um, all, all, <laughs> all the only evidence that's been presented so far is is anecdotal. But, but it is it it is very easy to convince me that I'm wrong, mm -hmm. in that in that it's just the right kind of evidence. 
that's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important in any kind of scientific mindset. You always have to be willing to be wrong, even about your most closely held beliefs. I, 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 go, I even go one farther. Like, I think that scientists love it. They love to be wrong and deeply enjoy it and i find that like like we're having this there's this new thing in science with this cosmological crisis where the expansion rate of the universe isn't matching in the way that astronomers were predicting and they are giddy like they just they can't believe how wonderful this is that everything they thought about the universe is now a little shaky and up for grabs again, because it means that you can make some really interesting productive work again, as opposed to um, all of the answers that, you know, Einstein told you all your answers 75 years ago and you're stuck with them, but now you actually got some room to, to make some progress, which is amazing. And so I think it's the same thing. Like, no, I would love, are you kidding? I mean, like I literally spend, as I said, you know, most of my time trying to figure out um, what are some ways that we can look for more aliens and I can't wait to, to find them. Um, so we've got a couple of questions here. Uh, Nancy asks, uh, has Sarah investigated the alleged alien abduction by Betty and Barney Hill in New Hampshire in September, 1961? Did you ever look into the, uh, or, or alien abductions in general? Um, I actually mostly steered away from alien abductions in my own research, um, just because, you know, I'm, I was coming at my research from the perspective of a science journalist and I didn't I didn't think that I had the tools to handle that well or with the right resources or with the right amount of like respect for people's experiences and so I just kind of mostly left it but I uh I do recommend a book maybe this person has already read it um called uh the i think it's just called the fourth kind and it's an account of a conference that happened at at harvard um with you know eminent uh psychologists doing research and having a conference about alien abduction in a serious way hmm. that's interesting um i mean why did you i mean it's do you feel like it's sort of starting to move into people's mental health Yes, okay. I do. Some, sometimes. No, yeah. I mean, maybe people are being abducted by aliens, but there's there's a lot of evidence, um, especially from organizations like MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, which does a lot of investigations, that at least some of these are, you know, uh, reinterpreted traumatic situations that people kind of morph into alien abductions. So do you think that there might be a people preying on people with with uh mental health issues um, for financial gain or for for whatever in in general or yeah, related yeah. to the alien I mean, abductions it, i mean it, like you see that in in you know gamblers like obviously there are casinos that are designed to exploit people who have you know who are more likely to spend all their money in the in the casino and and i can imagine if there's if there's money to be made there are going to be people who are going to try to make that money and if there are people who are more likely if a third of americans believe that there are ufos if a sixth have seen them for themselves there's money to be made yeah i think that that is true and i think anytime in any field you find a 
guru or a figurehead in general, you should go running away from them. Um, I mean, there, there are people who run companies that will take you out into the desert and promise to show you UFOs if you meditate the right way for, you know, $2,000 a weekend or, or something like that, or um, just sell a lot of merchandise. Even joining MUFON and taking part in their efforts costs a lot of money. And I think, I mean, we live in a capitalist society and anything that people can use to make money, yeah, it yeah. will. How, yeah. how much does it cost to join MUFON? I don't remember exactly, and I don't want to say it incorrectly, right, but okay, I did. Okay. Yeah. But there is some money. There is some money. And then for, for the book, I was planning to become a field investigator uh, at, at one point just to see what the training was like. And the, the guy I talked to was like, don't do it. You have to buy the manual. You have to buy whatever. So just uh, shadow me around instead. Okay. So can you talk about that? What, did you, you shadowed a, a field investigator for MUFON? Yeah, we, we didn't actually end up going out on any cases. We just talked about about how he handled cases. So shadow might be a, a generous word. But um, yeah, he talked he talked about what happens when a report comes in. Like if you see a UFO and you report it to MUFON, that within um, you know 24 to 48 hours goes directly to a person who will spend time talking to local airports, local military bases, consulting star charts for things like Arcturus or, or whatever, and then basically write up essentially a police report on what you saw and what it is most likely to be or not be. And so they'll, so, so you say, I saw a thing, like I saw something blinking in the sky and then, and then you'll contact MUFON and they'll say it was Arcturus. Yes. Huh. And will they charge? Or they'll say they don't know. Will they... No, they don't charge for that. They don't charge no. for that. Okay. But the no. people who mm -hmm. are doing the investigation have to pay for the training and for the manuals and, and all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, but still, that sounds, that sounds all right to, to help, not necessarily to explain, but I guess at the same time, they're also getting to build a database of <clears throat> stuff that they can't explain. That then yeah, they can definitely. And it's, it's a public database. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you talked about this Skyhub. So, so there are some that sort of fall into that because I guess that's the other thing, right? It's like, I think that, that the expectation is, is that, that, that people aren't thinking about this very scientifically, but I'll bet you there are a lot of people who are thinking about this very scientifically and who are attempting to take some kind of action. Yeah, I think so. Actually, that was what led me to be interested in this more in the first place. I'd never, I thought a lot about SETI and aliens far away, but not very much about UFOs at all until I got into this. And it was meeting exactly those people who, who were scientific about it, who were kind of interested in the history and document gathering and database analysis and stuff like that. And there's actually a lot of people like that within the field. So what about, like, what about the crossover? I mean, you've already also done a book on Jill Tarter and the SETI and her work with, with SETI. What is the crossover between the people who are looking for them here and the people who are looking for them elsewhere? Yeah, I think there is, I mean, there are some people in SETI who are willing to engage with the idea of UFOs or with people who have had sightings, actually a, a lot of them, but in general, there's a little bit, of, there's distance and I think there's a little bit of, antagonism because uh at least in my opinion uh SETI as a field had to fight so hard to be taken seriously at all and to not just be thought of as its own 
fringe science that, uh, you know, they, they didn't want to have the little green man uh, stigma. They wanted to be divorced from that and be scientific and systematic. And as soon as you bring the UFOs into it, you are the little green man stigma. So I think they try to keep themselves you, separate. And and do you think, like, it, like it really de definitely feels to me now that that stigma is almost gone. That mm -hmm. that you've got the searches for biosignatures, like the news that was announced with Venus. You've got the um, the case for life that the Mars rovers have been building on on Mars, and of course SETI. But I mean, the SETI Institute is chronically underfunded, doing this really important work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, kind of the same distance that exists between the UFO types and SETI, I think historically has also existed to some extent between the astrobiology, you know, biosignatures, geochemical analysis sorts of things. And SETI, everybody just wants to be able to, to have their, their money and their renown and, and be taken seriously. And so when SETI was, when SETI was the fringe science, astrobiology didn't, didn't want to be a part of it. And I mean, I think that's, 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 I, I would agree with you, the study isn't fringe anymore. And mm -hmm. it is, you know, chronically underfunded. But at the same time, you know, we have things like the Breakthrough Listen project, which is a 10 year project to do this work. There are more innovative searches than we've done in the past, like looking for alien lasers, which sounds very exciting, or um, using traditional telescope data to like analyze it in, in, in duplicate for potential science. So I think the money might not be there yet, but the stigma is gone. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think when you look at say breakthrough, listen, you've got money coming from Yuri Milner. When you had the original Allen array, it was, it was done by Microsoft. Was it Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen? Um, so you've you've got these individuals that that know that this is important, but not necessarily the funding from government agencies. I don't know if you can apply for a National Science Foundation grant to to scan the skies with the Arecibo array when it's fixed to be able to, to see aliens. I, there was actually just a paper that I saw today. The Chinese are opening up the FAST telescope, which is the world's largest radio telescope for SETI searches. Oh. Which is I hadn't seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they it's a it's a deal with Breakthrough Listen. So Breakthrough Listen is negotiated, I guess, with the people operating the Fast Telescope. And I, from what I understand, Fast isn't uh, getting enough research work yet, so it's not fully booked up. For for people to know, Fast is the is the Chinese the oh anyway it's a it's a five hundred meter spherical radio observatory like Arecibo, but way bigger and will, is the most powerful fixed radio telescope uh, in the world and to be able to do that. And then, of course, there was the work that was done with the Murchison Array just a, like a couple of weeks ago where they were able to figure out a clever hack to be able to scan an enormous volume of space. Um, the, the Square Kilometer Array, I mentioned this, uh, it, it will be able to detect, it could detect Earth's air traffic control system from about 100 light years away. Just leaked. That's that's bananas. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. So not yeah. directly. So not like not like someone on Earth is taking Arecibo and beaming a signal out into space, but actually could could detect it. Just the leaked emissions from from airplanes talking to the ground systems. So. Yeah, I mean that that kind of stuff is also that's something uh, Jill Tarter has been very 
into recently, especially as, you know, things like the Allen Telescope Array didn't get quite as far, get quite as much funding as they wanted and the, the government programs have always been a, a problem is using telescopes that aren't just dedicated to SETI to the, be like, just give us a copy of your data stream or like when you yes. are doing your own work, keep an eye out for something weird. If you see something weird, give us a call. Like, and yeah. I think that's very reasonable. Yeah. So and so this is one of the new things that Breakthrough Listen has. I've, I've clearly got to interview the folks at Breakthrough Listen. Um, but but they have. Yeah, they've negotiated to be able to get access to all this additional data oh, yes. and to also provide data to scientists as part of the work that they're doing as well. Uh, they've built a big database of all the different kinds of objects that can be seen in space, just every single possible thing that, it, that exists or could exist in space that we know of to then be able to categorize what you're looking at. So there's some really, really interesting work. And, and yeah, I've definitely got to talk to someone from, from Breakthrough Listen because it's, because it does feel, thanks to Yuri Milner, it, it, it does feel like there's a lot of new energy that's being injected into this process. But it's so weird. It is the most important scientific question that we can possibly answer, I think. Are we alone? Yeah. I think I think so too, but it's also the one that no amount of work can definitely get us the answer to. Like we could always be doing the wrong work, or the answer could be we are alone, and then you could spend forever searching. And so I think that people have a hard time deciding to fund or support something that you might that might never right. reach its goal. Uh, uh, Nibbler asks in the comments, uh, irrelevant but serious etymological question, what are the first three kinds of encounters if aliens are the fourth? What is a close encounter of the first kind? Oh man, I better not get this wrong on the internet. Um, the, the, the first one is just a light in the sky um, okay. where you can't discern any like physical of it. Um, somebody in the comments can yell at me if I accidentally get this wrong. Right, the right. second one, I believe, is when you can discern something about like the shape of it, like you can see that it's a saucer. Um, the third, I believe, is that you interact with it somehow, like it, you know, it turns your car off or a shot light, a spotlight shines on you. And then the fourth is is contact. With right. They actually invite things. you on their spaceship yeah. and, and play a song. Right. right. It's okay. clearly the, the best kind of contact. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, K-Bear asks, um, what would we do if we found a primitive, primitive civilization in a nearby solar system somehow? And I, I'd like to just sort of give you a more a general version of this is how do you think humanity would react if we did find some evidence of an alien civilization? Mm -hmm. I struggle to have an answer to this question because there's a, I mean, I would freak out and have a party, um, <laughs> I think. Uh, and it would, you know, it would change my outlook, I think, on regular life and also on the universe. But also, like we've just said, 30% of people here already think that that is true mm -hmm. and are just living their lives right, the way it right. is. So, and also, you know, every six months or a year, there's a clickbait headline that says we did find aliens and the world doesn't fall apart and people right. like it and then kind of move on. And so there's a part of me that thinks people might just be like, interesting. <laughs> I knew I it. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. What are you going to do? It's funny yeah. for me, for me personally, um, I would be really relieved 
because my, you know, I've talked about this on the channel and it freaks out my viewers, but my personal my insight, I find the Fermi paradox so compelling, so terrifying that I kind of do feel like we're alone and, and it makes the destruction that we're doing to our environment all the more horrifying when not only are we kind of killing ourselves and wiping out all of these species, but we're potentially uh, wiping out the universe's one time that it figured out life and even figured out intelligent life. Yeah. And it's, and the responsibility is on us to not mess this up. And we are totally messing it up. Yeah. That's a huge bummer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. And yeah. then I feel like, and so, and so if someone's like, don't, you know, if we find out like there's aliens out there on, on Alpha Centauri, I'm like, oh, it's not up to us. Like, okay. Then the They've universe is going to be fine. They've got it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. I've actually been trying on what it, what it feels like to think that we're alone in the universe too. And I don't know if just, it's just the uh, general bleakness of our times, but I, I feel like it, I feel, um, I think if you'd asked me a few years ago, I would be like, well, that's not, that's not realistic. And now I'm like, actually, it seems totally plausible to me that the universe is empty except for us. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, and it's sort of, I mean, it's sort of that same conversation where, where like, it's about, it's about living for this life that you're that you know instead of instead of waiting for some possible afterlife where you know, suffer now and then then it's all going to be fine in some possible afterlife it's sort of that same idea which is to say no we've got to take responsibility for the planet that we're on for the for the for the really privileged position that we find ourselves in and we have this opportunity to make something of ourselves before either we wipe ourselves out or, or the sun boils us all alive 500 mm -hmm. million years from now. Um, and that could be the one time that life could have existed in this universe. And I think that's, and so that's why for me, it's very much, it's about hope. It's about that we've got to, that we can't shirk our responsibility just because we just want to drive a faster car and we just want to eat fast food. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And um, I'm not in the business of promoting misinformation, but maybe if we could get the SETI Institute to issue a press release that says there's definitely no life elsewhere, then yeah. we would all yeah, exactly. do a little more about right. global warming. Yeah, and, yeah. and in 200 yeah. years, life will, life, intelligent life will be destroyed in the universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, again, that would be disingenuous. I think the, uh, yeah. but, it, but even, I mean, it's interesting, like if we fail, then like are the dolphins gonna gonna i mean we burned all the coal we we got all the gold we used all the iron that was sitting on the surface it's gonna take a long time it's gonna take hundreds of millions of years for that stuff to to build up again so we sort of not only are we messing it up but we're making it difficult for anyone any you know when the octopuses show up they're not going to be able to uh to do it um so Nolan asks, so should we feel responsible to spread life among the, around the universe? So what do you think about that based on what we just talked <laughs> about? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a hard problem because I think we've seen that human space travel has maybe proven a little more difficult than we thought when we first started out and went to the moon in a decade. We haven't been very far since it's very expensive. We are suited specifically to this planet and the idea 
of even living on close by moon or Mars is so, feels so far in the future um, that I, I have a hard time believing that, that we would go on to uh, populate, you know, the rest of the galaxy, but also times change, technology advances, and I can't see the, the future. So, I mean, I, I kind of think like we have, we have a pretty good setup here. Um, and while it would be nice for humanity to survive, if we all, if we all go away, when the sun boils us off, that's, we had a good run. Yeah. You know? But, 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 it, but if the universe, that was the only time that life developed in the universe, is that good for the universe? Is life, is the universe better for having life in it? I don't know. Yeah. Do you? Uh, yes. Yeah, totally. Rocks, okay. rocks are boring. Rocks. That's true. Yeah, I, I'll take I'll take birds over rocks every day. Uh, <laughs> don't tell any of my geologist friends. All right, Tesla Ranger says first visual 150 meters. Second physical effect. Third animated entity. Fourth human abduction. Fifth what direct communication. Sixth death death of human or animal. Seventh human alien hybrid. Whoa. Whoa. Seven. It goes to seven. Human different alien hybrid. hybrid yeah that is thank the, you that is thank the you. seventh kind mm -hmm. that is awesome um uh Esquilax is saying i feel reports of alien sightings became less fashionable from approximately 1990 to 2015 and now are enjoying a renaissance do you have a similar impression or some data or is it just my bias so yeah, I, I can't say for sighting specifically, but in terms of like popular general enthusiasm, there was kind of a high in the 90s with the X-Files era and things like that, and a little bit of a drop off in the early 2000s. I don't know about 2015 specifically, but I would say that, you know, since UFOs and the Nimitz and the Pentagon program and all these things started being in the news, that there's definitely more buzz at least than I was privy to before but I don't actually think that that has translated into increased um sightings um I would have to double check on the the databases but I think at least in the in the U.S. sightings have been um pretty steady even so. though now everybody is walking around with a camera mysterious yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh well Sarah we've reached the end of our hour thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today uh if people want to follow more about what you're doing, where should they go? Uh, yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Skulls Sarah, S-C-O-L-E-S -E Sarah. Um, and I put articles I write up at my website, which is sarahskulls.com. And sometimes you show up on Wired. And, sometimes I do that. And don't forget about our books. So and we'll put a link to the books in the, in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for taking the Great. time to chat with me today. This, this group session was, I found it very helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah, and... no, thank you for having me. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Take care. See you later.